Uh, hey folks. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out this second episode of Real Classy. I really appreciate it. Uh, quick note, this is actually the first episode that I recorded, and I was still figuring out how to do this, so the audio is sort of rough. It sounds kind of echoey and weird, uh, but I hope that you can look past that and enjoy the episode anyway, and thank you again so much for listening. Welcome, everybody, to Real Classy. This is a podcast where we talk about old movies. It's probably been done before, but it hasn't been done by me, Christopher Emerson, so I don't really care. Today we're talking about the 1932 film. 34, it ha- Chris. <laughs> Today we're talking about the 1934 film. It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, uh, directed by Frank Capra. Uh, this movie was suggested to me by my friend and colleague, Jeremy Rowland, who is sitting with me here today. Jeremy? Hey there, everybody. Thank you, Chris, for that uh, beautiful introduction. <laughs> Jeremy, when did you first see this movie? Okay, funny story. I was Actually, my grandpa was building a home in the mountains of North Carolina, and this, this is like 14 years in the making. He would go up just in his free time and start building this house, and he lived in a trailer in the meadow on his mountain and you know once it gets dark he can't work on the house so he would go inside into the trailer and just watch old movies all night mm. so i went up with him one time and um helped him out for i think i think a week or two building the house and every night we would come back exhausted we'd eat like a can of spinach and stewed tomatoes and like wheat thins and we'd sit in front of the tv and watch old movies and this was one that we we happened to watch and Man, from the, the first time I saw it, it just, I don't know, it kind of it kind of caught me. It, it felt, here, here was this movie from 1934, but it felt like it hadn't aged. Mm-hmm. It felt still relevant uh, today. And uh, I think the, the whole sentimental side of watching it in the mountain with my grandpa was pretty, yeah. kind of endeared it to me as well. But it's just been a, a favorite film of mine for a long time, so I wanted to, uh, to share it with you. Yeah. I enjoyed this movie because it does feel timeless. It does feel like uh, a nice love story for, you know, (laughs) it's pleasing to the heart to hear, to see a story about people from different walks of life falling in love. It's also exciting to see people going on an adventure, especially an adventure, for me, an adventure of uh, limited resources to see people trying to get across the country with no money yeah. is a very entertaining thing to watch. No, I love that tension. Yeah. Because, like, you know, in, in, in film, there's that, that concept of putting, like, the, the ticking clock. There'll be some sort of tension that's always there. And, and that for the, in this movie, that was all about the money. Like, as the money yeah. was trickling yeah. down, you kept that tension. And, and uh, the less money they had, the closer they had to become to each other. Yeah. You know, they were... They were kind of forced to, to rough it even more and get closer to each other because of that, that um, what is it, adversity. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're sleeping in hay bales. Mm-hmm. They're uh, rationing their breakfast. And that leads to some interesting conversations about, like, that's not how you dunk a donut. Yeah. You're going to let it fall off. It, it's, it shows these little vignettes about life that uh, they've learned in different ways that are just fun to see people talk about. It's a it's romantic, not just for the sake of it being romance between a man and a woman, but it's romantic just to see the way that people 
can live in that scenario and in that time period. It's fun to watch. Yeah, and they're 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 kind of like you said, timeless. Yeah. There are these timeless scenarios. They may be set in a different time and it's black and white, but some of these scenarios, like you know, if you've ever if you've ever been in love, you know those you know those quirky things that you do together or those little disputes that come up over stupid little things. Like you said, the donut and, and, yeah. and so it's kinda of, it's kinda of fun to see that play out. I was really surprised by the way it started out with uh, this girl being kind of held captive on this boat by her dad because she had married someone he didn't approve of. Like that felt very like Shakespearean to me. It was it was I was like this movie's gonna be like some crazy action movie, and it kind of was. I love how the movie starts. I I mean it's this. It kind of throws you for a loop. Like you, I wasn't expecting this girl to jump out of a mm-hmm. boat window and mm-hmm. swim swim to her freedom, but um. Yeah, I, I love I love her character. How she starts off as such a brat, and 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 how she 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 plays so well against Clark Gable's character. You know, yeah. he's 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 streetwise. He's he's you know he knows his way around, and uh, here's this completely naive brat. So I, I love that play between the two. Um, Clark Gable, a character with nothing to lose in this. You know, he's just been fired. He's drunk when you first see him. Yeah. And he kind of, and he the first thing that he does after he gets on the bus is starts picking a fight with the bus driver about these newspapers and showing you just how clever he is and how you know how much smarter he is than the stupid bus driver who's just going oh yeah oh yeah and he's being funny about it and it uh, there's something that I really like about a character who who is in a bad situation. And it doesn't phase them. You know what I mean? Who's in a situation that, like, in my life would cause me to be like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I just lost my job. I don't have any money. What's going on? He seems to just kind of know that he's going to be fine because he is who he is. Yeah. Well, you get you get the sense that he's a serial a serial loser in a way. Like yeah. he's, he's been down this road many times. He's, he's used to kind of being at his wit's end and even that even that relationship you see with he and his boss yeah you you get the impression like i think of uh you know the andy griffith show another another flashback mm-hmm. here in the griffith show where where don knotts barney fife like repeatedly through the series comes up to andy and says andy i'm turning in my resignation like, mm-hmm. i quit mm-hmm. and andy's just like okay i'll put it in the file so i like you see this this long long history of turmoil between the two and so you don't you don't see this as the first time he's been fired from this job essentially no, yeah. no i don't think yeah. so i think i think there's been a long history of him just kind of yeah you've got um e ellie ellie, no, ellie, ellie? Yeah, ellie. she uh she surprises you sometimes she's a rich spoiled chick she doesn't know what a line is <laughs> but uh she, Let's clarify line there, because I'm thinking line of crack. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what a line is geometrically. She has no idea. She, you, you put two points and you draw a line between them. She's like, what is that, a circle? Anyway. She, but yet, she surprises you by being compassionate when the kid's mom is uh, hurt. She's enjoying her life on this bus when they're singing. They're having this big sing song. She's joking around. She's getting to know this uh, fella she's with, and then when uh, when it when they need to like lie to the police, when they need to hide themselves, she acts you know like his wife, his uh, nagging wife, and she puts on a show, and uh, it's very entertaining um, to see to to be surprised by this woman who your expectations of are kind of low. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I really appreciated her character for her naivete. You know, she, she kind of embodied like the, the growth experience, mm -hmm. like, you know, this just growing up in general, she was, I see her more mature than any immature than anything else. Like, yeah. and she's been spoon fed all of her life. She's had this easy life and now she's thrust into the world. And I liked the way she handled it. I liked, I liked seeing how, you know, she gave, she put herself, her current self out into the world and the world kicked it right back at her, you know? Mm -hmm. like, so she was forced to kind of grow up. And I think that's, I think that's, um, that's the human experience, man. Like, do you, do you think that that's part of what made Peter fall in love with her? Because there's plenty of reasons for her to fall in love with him. He's protecting her. He's, you know, smart. He's helping her. But for him, she's more of just a person who he like feels some desire to protect and, and need. Yeah, no, I think that's very much what, what endeared her to him. Yeah. Um, and, and the, and the fact that she, she showed the willingness to grow. Like she wasn't, mm -hmm. here's someone who had the, the, who has been waited on hand and foot in her entire life, had everything she ever wanted. And she starts out showing that, that kind of attitude, but, uh, she had the, the guts to, well, not even the guts really, but just the, the open-mindedness to, to kind of grow up and, yeah. and, and move on. At first she thinks that the bus will wait for her. Yeah. I love that. Oh, they'll wait for me. Right, right. Um, I guess, yeah, That's that kind of can probably be summed up in the moment where she eats the carrot. Where they're sitting in the car and he sees that she tries the carrot. That's a good signal of, oh, if I'm hungry enough, I'm going to eat a carrot. Right, right, <laughs> I'm willing right. to make you know compromises. Mm -hmm. um, let's jump ahead to some of these things I had noted here. The father starts out seeming like a bad guy, but is later revealed to only have had his daughter's best interests in mind. At the very beginning of the film, the dad really does seem like a villain. Like he only wants to keep his daughter from being happy and that she really loves this guy that she married. But um, towards the end of the film, when he uh, meets Peter and he like talks to him and realizes that these two are in love and that's why his daughter is upset, he's really kind of rooting for her to get together with him. And this is a guy who's poor and can't offer her anything. And yet this rich father is rooting for this guy a lot more than he's rooting for the King character. Which, by the way, the guy's name is King? Like, that's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? She, like, leaves the King to be with the, you know, the poor guy? Anyway, I thought that that was a very interesting character change for the father. Like, he really seems like a bad guy at first, and at the end, he seems like a really good guy. Even when he's, for some reason, getting super hammered, after his daughter and Peter run away together. I didn't understand that. Why was he getting drunk? <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, at the beginning, like you say, he, he comes across as very, uh, you know, a bit of, of a control freak. And, but I was thinking about that, you know, like, you don't, you don't hear any mention or see any, see any sign of the mother figure. Yeah. And so, like, you have to see, like, well, I guess I saw past his controlling mentality and, and saw it as like, this is the dude who has lost his, I'm assuming I'm making crap. Yeah, yeah, Maybe no, he's no, lost yeah. his wife. And, and, and so this is kind of the, what's left mm -hmm, from, that, from mm -hmm. that marriage. And this is the, his trophy. And so he's, he's trying really hard to protect her. So you identified with him as like a more caring father figure, even from the beginning. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And caring at heart, but like, mm -hmm. like most guys, he just didn't know how to show it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think a lot of guys, they're, 
intense passion or love for something or someone come, can sometimes come across misconstrued as, as douchebaggery or, yeah, yeah. You know, or, or dominance. So, One thing I liked about this movie, it's not a musical, but like apparently even a movie that's not a musical is a musical. You have this big musical number when they're on the bus. And then you have uh, the guy who picks them up when they're hitchhiking, singing young people in love are seldom hungry. <laughs> like, I just thought that that was interesting. That I feel like you wouldn't see that today, a movie that's like not a musical having characters just singing to each other in a, in a social type of circumstance. Yeah, I think that is rare. I, it does happen occasionally. I love it mm-hmm. when I see it. But I, I did love older films because of that. Yeah. Like... I love I love it when they're able to incorporate music in, especially like old folk tunes, like the ones that show up in this movie, and it just kind of it's it's a time capsule, man. Like you're yeah. getting you're getting not only getting a sense of of not seeing the culture, but you're you're hearing the music of the time, and um, not to mention, I mean, they're just catchy tunes. Man. Yeah, and you just you get a sense that that was part of the movie going experience. Yeah, you wanted to go and be entertained by the story, but you also wanted to hear some music. It was kind of like a like a multi-faceted entertainment event type thing. Yeah. Now, one thing that I thought was really, really interesting about this movie, which is a romance movie, um, we never see the characters, the two main characters, kiss. The last time that they're seen on screen together, they're kind of at fighting with each other. They think that each other has uh, wronged them at this time when they see each other at the at the uh, engagement party, I guess. Um, and then after she runs away from the wedding, we never see them together. We see the, uh, the like, innkeepers and his wife talking about them, and then we see the blanket falling at the very end. The walls of Jericho. Yeah, we see the walls of Jericho coming down. We never see them kiss. We never see them reunite. I thought that that was a really interesting thing because that I feel like is kind of why you go to see a romance movie. You want to see the kiss and you want to see that heartwarming moment and you still get a really heartwarming moment when you see that blanket fall down, but you don't see that, uh, like on the cover of the movie, they can't have them kissing like you would with a like typical romance movie of this time. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly something you were looking for. But I, I, mean, I think it kind of like blew the cap off of the, the stereo. Well, I guess there were there weren't really many like romantic comedy right, yeah. stereotypes. This back was then. probably one of the first romantic comedies. But yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of the first screwball comedy. I think is what it was, what people uh, referred to it as, mm-hmm. and like I think that might be part of what makes it feel so fresh and, and relevant today is that, like, because that ending specifically, is, it's so it's so contrary to like modern day stereotypes of a romantic comedy and the, the big kiss at the end, you know, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the, the Cinderella syndrome. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want to call it, but uh, yeah, like there's this moment where we don't see them. We just see this, 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 the walls of Jericho mm-hmm, falling. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a callback to an earlier scene in the film where, where this blanket, the wall of Jericho yeah. represents this divide between the two. Mm-hmm. And then at the end to see that divide coming down and like, that to me was just that's an awesome, yeah. awesome way to kind of that was pull totally. It, all that, it felt like enough. It felt like you didn't yeah. need to see them embracing. You didn't need to see them yeah. kissing. It was so much stronger, so much stronger yeah. than just a simple kiss. Like because you're, you're not, you're, you're actually you're you're seeing something. You're putting two and two together. You, yeah, it makes you think a little bit. And then you get to kind of do the work in your own head yeah. of what that yeah. what's gonna 
What's yeah, I mean, it was, it was also that? a way. Yeah. It was also a time to, or a way to, uh, I don't know, kind of an F you to the censorship of that time. You know? yeah. It was, yeah. It was a way to, to, it was an innuendo, you know, to, to right. uh, well, but suggest a couple. There's yeah. nothing wrong with this. <laughs> right. But it's, yeah, no, it was really nice. And, you get, and you get that, like, the innkeeper and his wife characters who are, like, kind of the same characters that we've seen a couple times before in these different inns. You get the idea that there's all these little camper parks with the with the old guy and his wife running the place. Mm-hmm. And you just you just see it through their eyes and you get that nice little comedic like, I don't know what they're doing. They wanted a blanket and a trumpet. <laughs> Which by the way, they were they were like, he, they sent me to a to a store to go get one of those toy trumpets. That's not your responsibility, dude. You don't have to go do that. Right. But it was sweet of him. Yeah. Well, let's talk about let's let's get a little nerdy here. Let's talk about some of the facts about the film. Okay. Um, one one thing that just blew my mind is that this was a, a Columbia Studios picture. Mm-hmm. Columbia is considered kind of the um, oh, I don't know what you call it, but like the crap shack of, of studios, yeah. man. Like they were like, like uh, Asylum Films today. Sure. So you know they weren't making big budget films, and uh, from what I understand, they were kind of just barely hanging on Mm -hmm. and this picture comes up they want to do it but they can't get anybody to act in it and and i believe i heard i don't know if it's true but basically clark gable was punished by his studio i think it was mgm was his punishment for an affair that he had had was to work on this film that's so interesting yeah so he was he was not excited to do this and uh same with with claudette um they were both had low expectations Everybody had low expectations for the film. And yet, it turned out to be this this huge hit. Now, it was written by Frank Capra, or it was just directed by No, him? it was directed by Frank Capra. It was written by... Um, written by Robert Riskin? Robert Riskin, yeah. And based on a short story by Samuel Hopkins Adams. Yeah, and Robert Riskin actually got, uh, in 1935, for this film, got uh, Best Screenplay Adaptation, hmm. so... And Robert Riskin went on to, to write some big ones, too. So Yeah. Maybe that's what I need to look up. Not not so much looking for the Frank Capra movies, but looking at the other Robert Riskin stories. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you said that this movie, he won the Oscar for Best uh, Screenplay yeah. adaptation. And you said that this movie also won several other Academy Awards. Yes. Yeah, five in total, actually. It, it swept the kind of the big ticket wins. Uh, best Director for Frank Capra. Best Actor. Uh, in a leading role for Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert got uh, Best Actress in a leading role, which was apparently pretty a pretty contentious win. There mm-hmm. were some pretty mm-hmm. some pretty pissed off uh, Hollywood elites on that one. But um, and actually, she had such low expectations for the film that she didn't even show up at the Oscars. But I guess somehow the word got out that she had won, and like she like rushed over from some other event that she was at and uh, accepted. The award it was given to her by Shirley Temple. As we the all know, Shirley, the Temple. Shirley Temple was the the uh, famous astronaut who was the first person, the first woman in space. Um, so it's kind of like the making of this movie is almost as interesting of a story. Like I feel like I could watch a movie about the making of this movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like which there very well may be because it was made in 1934. I don't know. But like that Clark Gable like being punished and having to work on this movie, Claudette Colbert not being in attendance at the Oscars 
in which she was nominated for Best Actress. Um, come on, Claudette. Uh, that's kind of a stupid move. I'm not even a big fan of the Oscars, but if I was nominated, I would show up. I'm yeah, just saying. That's a bit full of yourself. Yeah. Let's be real. It's, it's foolhardy, Claudette. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it just, just, it's an outstanding, outstanding movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And, um, Oh, one other little nerdy piece of trivia that mm-hmm. I heard, mm-hmm. and I don't know this. This may be a little bit, uh, I don't know how real or true it is, but but what I heard is that the the creator of the character Bugs Bunny, uh, this film influenced actually three characters in this film influenced the character of Bugs Bunny. There's uh, Clark Gable for mm-hmm. the way he ate the carrots. You know, remember oh, that okay. scene where he's okay. eating the carrots yeah. and he, he shapes them down and he just crunches it off and holds it. And you can definitely see little traces of Bugs Bunny in there. Yeah. And also, the, just his his wit. Yeah. Right. His, right. Like snarkiness to him. Right. Right. Yeah. And the the character that um, oh crap I can't remember his name right now but he's the character on the bus who's trying to hit on Claudette. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's got this real like Weasley character and he he talks fast and funny out of the side of his mouth and he's got this real funny way of speaking and that apparently influenced. The way uh, Bugs Bunny's mannerisms. Bugs talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, also the the fictional character that they talk about, um, actually with that same guy on the bus, he talks about I think it's Bugsy, Bugsy something. Was, right, was the, the name of the the, the fake uh, mobster that he uses yeah, to scare mobster. him away, yep, which yep. is such an awesome scene. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. So, yeah, Bugsy, obviously. So that's that's uh, that's, that's how the story really goes. Is that like confirmed or is that like a rumor from what i understand that it was published it was in um it was a piece of the unpublished autobiography of uh bugs Bunny's creator i can't remember his name off the top of my head interesting yeah well uh, we'll just put that out there whether it's true or not it's interesting yeah so. definitely it uh leads me to a to a thought that is movies from this time period Part of the reason that they're so great is because cell phones and the internet didn't exist. So a guy could tell you, hey, I work for the mob, and we're going to kill your family like we've done before. Right. And you would just have to believe him. You right, would just right. have to accept that that's true. Well, yeah, like that and the whole fact that like they're chasing this girl. Yeah. They're trying to find this girl all over the U.S., yeah. and they're like... She all, I mean, she's on a bus. She's buying plane tickets. She's staying in hotels and things. It's like today they would have found her in a matter of minutes, yeah. you know. And yeah. Another ahead. note: Peter, the Clark Gable character, apparently a superhero, because uh, in the scene where the person who picks them up when they're hitchhiking drives away with their stuff, he runs after the car, and then in the next scene comes back with the car. He apparently <laughs> caught up to the speeding car, pulled the guy out, tied him to a tree. None of that you see, by the way. That's that's another thing that's great about this movie, again, is the stuff that they don't show you, that they just imply happened, is such a great thing. He could have totally murdered that guy, for all we know, and just been saying that stuff to uh, Ellie. Ellie? Yeah, Ellie, yeah, yeah. But yeah, anyway. No, I, that's a really good point. I like what you said. There. Yeah, because you don't think – I didn't think he was going to catch up to that guy. Oh, sure, sure. He was just chasing after him, and then he comes back with the car. Well, even even the point, though, that, that a lot of what you don't see is what makes this movie yeah. so, so great. It's You wouldn't have that today. Today you would see them embrace. Today you would see a really crazy like car chase fight scene when he goes <laughs> to catch the guy who takes off with the car. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think the modern, modern film goer, movie goer wants – a literal resolution 
yeah. wants to see. But I really, I really appreciated that kind of non-standard. You know, the cliche now is that they they start out hating each other, they fall in love, and at the end we see them kiss, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's some you know this very literal yeah. resolution. But but in this, like, this we see them almost kiss. Yeah, you see just the moment when they're about to kiss, and then they don't because she's married and she's got a you know. And then he goes and looks off at the sky, and she's like, "What are you thinking about?" And he's like, "You, you stupid idiot!" I forget what he says, but yeah. but like that's such an awesome moment of just you feel that uh, you know that tension, you feel that desire for one yeah. another that they can't follow through with. Well, I think that's another thing that makes this movie just so fantastic and timeless is that sexual tension that they manage to keep through the entire yeah, film. Like yeah. from the very start, they're on the bus and. You know, they start out hating each other, and she she eventually accidentally falls asleep mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And there's this, you just you feel that warmth, you know, like we've had you that do. situation. You, you know how it feels to have a girl on your you shoulder. See, I'm so jealous of him in that moment when yeah. he's just like sitting there watching her sleep. Yeah, you know, she, and then she wakes up and kind of looks at him and smiles and goes back to right, sleep right. before realizing what what's going on. Yeah, so I think that the the ability to keep that sexual tension all the way yeah. through the end and to resolve it in such a such an awesome way is fantastic. To have that like self control that even when she throws her uh, her knickers yeah. up <laughs> over the blanket, yeah. he's like, "Could you get those off the walls of your car? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, like, right, right. It's it's him actively trying not to be like a skeezy person in this. Right. It's him actively trying. To not take advantage of this girl. Yeah. Well, and call me old-fashioned, but I kind of appreciate the the wholesomeness yeah, of the film. Yeah. Like you don't. Well, see I it. just I just think that that's such a great. You know, it shows so much of his character yeah. that in a lot of ways he seems like he could be a dishonest guy. You know, he lies to his friends about his boss firing him. He uh, ties a guy to a tree and perhaps kills him. Um, but. He knows that this girl is married and she's trying to get to her husband and he doesn't want to, you know, uh, take advantage of her. And he knows how naive and and foolish she is Mm -hmm. because she's a woman. (laughs) No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) That's uh, that's his point of view, not mine. Yeah. Um, But yeah. No, actually, I was just thinking, I mentioned the sexual tension and how they managed to to hold that out, draw Mm -hmm. that out and, and were so effective. Another one that I... I think really nailed that. This I'm jumping ahead centuries here, or decades. But The Office, like the series, TV series, yeah. The Office, like yeah. that love relationship between Jim and Pam. They they drew it out and drew it out and just kept pulling you through it. I think that's a real ingredient to a, a well-made yeah. romantic or love story is is the ability to stretch that out. Although I think that it works much better in a film where. <laughs> You only have to deal with them for two hours yeah. and not like six years. Right, right, yeah. Um, but check man, out The man. Office on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this film. It's yeah. a good one. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. You want to do recommendations? Sure. Uh, recommendations about this movie, or recommendations based on this movie. Uh, another movie that follows that uh, trope of the the road trip to get to uh, your love, but then you end up falling in love with the person who's helping you get there. For some reason, the movie that comes to my mind is a 1998 movie with Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon called Overnight Delivery, which I remember seeing when I was a kid. Uh, I know that that movie is somewhat dirty. Uh, I believe it's rated 
what is it right now? Oh, it's PG-13. So, you know, it can't be that dirty. But, uh, yeah. For, for, I, young, for young, Chris's young mind, it was very dirty. Yes. I, there was a condom in it. I remember there was a condom in it. That's all I really remember. Um, but I remember that being a funny movie. Uh, it's got a uh, 43% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I might have been wrong. But check it out. Hit up your local Blockbuster and rent overnight delivery with Paul Rudd and Solution. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. did you know that It Happened One Night It Happened One Night has ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Oof. Which is I mean that's that's the upper echelons of yeah. film society. Ninety eight percent pretty good rating on Rotten it's on, Tomatoes. It's on quite a few lists of like the It's in the criteria collection, I believe. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it is. Uh, my recommendation is actually shockingly similar to this film, but uh, a couple decades later. It's the uh, nineteen fifty three film uh, Roman Holiday. It's got Gregory Peck, Audrey Hepburn. It's directed by um, William Wyler, I believe. And uh, it, I mean, it's it's very much the same story. We've got the royalty, a young royal girl who who is you know, pissed off with her her family and decides to to run away, falls and falls with falls in with this um, at odds news reporter, uh, news writer journalist it's a very similar story yeah Yeah. and uh but but you know different time period it's set in rome it's beautiful great acting timeless actors actors um just just a great film altogether i I definitely recommend it maybe maybe give yourself some time between the two yeah get a but actually if you think about it the same movie i mean if you think about it this premise which i think was essentially the the beginning Mm -hmm. of this premise Mm -hmm. was like the first but you think about the premise it's it's most romantic comedies. I mean, yeah. What What did I watch recently with my wife? Uh, Leap Year, I think it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to Ireland. She's going to propose yeah. to her boyfriend. Falls in love with the guy she gets stuck traveling with. You know, I mean, it's been done over it's, and over yeah, again. It's, even if it's not specifically like a traveling sure. movie, a lot of the times it's I'm helping you get to your goal, which is this other person. Right. But right. in the end. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know. It happens in reality a lot, I guess. But I, I think what's, <laughs> what's so refreshing about this, though, is that it, it's kind of like the the first. Yeah, you know, it's the flagship. It's house. it's just heartwarming. We like it's to see uh, two characters who weren't trying to fall in love fall in love. I cried and cried. Well, I cry every I day, I but I cried especially <laughs> hard at this movie. Uh, anyway, so, so Jeremy, Jeremy yes. I'm going to ask you this again. <laughs> Ask. Is there anything you'd like to uh, promote? Uh, maybe a website or your. I know you're a musician. Jeremy is a musician, a filmmaker. No. He's married, ladies. So don't get any ideas. <laughs> if if my sultry, uh, allergy-ridden voice somehow turns you on, sorry. No, Chris. The only thing I would like to promote is world peace. Come on, man. You don't want to tell me your website? My website... I know no one's going to listen to this. My, yeah. my website for that one person in Poland trying to learn English from podcasts. <laughs> my website is J.D. Roland. That's R-O-W-L-A-N-D. Uh, at... Wait, I'm giving you my email. What the hell? <laughs> JDRoland.com. And... Don't count on seeing anything there about film critique or no. podcast. It, there's my photography. Jeremy is and, a photographer. Uh, First aspiring. and foremost, aspiring. a photographer. Secondly, a film critic. 
And thirdly, a husband. <laughs> no, Film no. critic is a very strong <laughs> description. But. Uh, you can, I uh, like watching movies. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Emerson with three Zs. Or you can just comment on wherever you're listening to this podcast if that's happening. Once again, I am Christopher Emerson. Uh, thank you very much, Jeremy Rowland, for joining me. You're welcome, Chris. And thank you, thank listener, you. for listening Although I doubt that you did. This is Christopher Emerson for Real Classy, where we watch old movies because new movies are only new for a short time, (laughs) but old movies will only get older. (laughs) Thank you, and good night. We sounded like teenage girls.